0: Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics.
1: Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily
2: podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams.
1: In our worldview, Georgia is the good guys. The dogs are out there fighting the good fight to maintain college football supremacy and any good story that has a good is it protagonist? Is that the right word? Kind of a fancy word? The protagonist, the good guy in a story. You got to have a villain out there. You got to have somebody sort of standing in your way. And so in a good nature, hopefully fun, loving type of way, we like kind of pointing out the various bad guys that kind of pop up for Georgia from time to time. So-and-so said this and so and so's doing this. And it we kind of create a fun story as it relates to that kind of stuff. And sometimes the villains that emerge over the course of a period of time can be a little bit unexpected. Folks that you didn't necessarily, you know, sort of expect to be that. And I'll give you an example of this. And this guy is sort of back at it again. It's ESPN College Game Day host Reese Davis. Now, I find myself sometimes in a weird position on a show like this because I find myself every now and then having to criticize that someone generally speaking, I kind of like, I still like ESPN's college game day. I think there are some people who believe we're in the sort of post game day era, not as relevant a program as it used to be for a number of reasons. And maybe that's true. However, I'm still interested in where game day, the show that comes on at 9 a.m. on ESPN, where it travels to week to week. Still somewhat interested in what the figures involved in that show say. I think it was a huge mistake to get rid of David Pollitt. We've talked about that before. I think ESPN overall, its stewardship of college football, I think it ought to be called into question when necessary. We'll do that on our show there as well. But generally speaking, I'm still, for the most part, a fan of ESPN's college game day. These are the folks that sort of set the parameters for the college football conversation that we all ultimately have. That may have used to be more true than it is now but it is still somewhat true today that these are the folks that sort of pass out the talking points memo and for the most part the media all sort of sings from the hymnal uh given to them by espn so what espn types say matters to a degree and what reese davis has been saying about georgia i would say this off season is just plain weird and one more caveat before we kind of get into all this more deeply we do not have thin skin around here you know I am not that bothered by anybody making some sort of prediction of whatever against Georgia. This is sort of the you know, the, the the opinion business. People want attention for their opinions. They need to make their takes a little hotter in order to get that attention. We sort of understand how the gears turn when it comes to the overall like incentive of, hey, I gotta be loud enough that I get some attention for what I have to say. That's just the nature of it. People pretend otherwise, but behind the scenes, that's obviously true that if you don't have somewhat of an outlandish take, then you're not going to have any attention. And obviously no one gets into this business to completely avoid attention, whether they acknowledge that or not. So we understand all of that. But when there are takes and opinions that don't seem firmly connected to logic we think it's our job to call it out because if we don't on a Georgia centric show then who else will clearly no one will so we're going to step up and do that job and fulfill that role of pointing out not just when someone has a take against UGA because we don't whine and cry about stuff like that but we will point out when someone has a take against UGA that doesn't necessarily reflect I believe the facts at hand and that's been some of the issue as it has related to Reese Davis thus far this offseason as a quick reminder here he has gone on any show that he can around the ESPN family of uh, networks here, making the case for what we've kind of jokingly started to call mighty Michigan because of the fact that so many in the media right now just seem to think this Wolverines team, they got embarrassed by george in 2021 uh got beat by a tcu team that got embarrassed even worse by george a year ago that suddenly something apparently has happened for this michigan team during the offseason in the midst and around jim harbaugh lying about hamburgers and whatnot whatever else has been going on with him in the ncaa something's been happening around michigan that has apparently made the wolverines unbeatable and uh jim uh harbaugh is going to apparently benefit from all of that and reese davis has been more than happy to talk about that including an example you've heard on this show before reese davis making his case that this mighty michigan team could be the number one team in the country this is what reese davis has said about that michigan has a proven quarterback that i think is going to improve greatly this year they've got the best cornerback in america and will johnson they've got some transfers on both lines of scrimmage including a pass rusher that should shore up some of the things that they've lost they've done a really good job in the transfer portal the last couple of years particularly on the lines of scrimmage they've got their running backs coming back a couple of uh, wide receivers it might even be bigger threats uh transfer tight end from indiana i believe they i think if i had to fill out the ballot right now based on what i know you know what i the type of production i know i'm going to get i think i'd put michigan number one so that's the case that reese davis makes for michigan and as i said before He's fine to have that opinion, but but one quick response to all of that, and then I want to move on to like the latest, the newest thing that's out there, and this is perhaps you know more interesting than all of that, but one quick response. The issue we've always had with Davis, and that's not a sort of chatter about Michigan, his reasoning for putting the Wolverines number one, apparently something that very few in the media seem to agree with. Georgia was an overwhelming number one in the preseason AP poll that came out the other day. The problem we have with a prominent voice like Davis saying what he says is, is that's not enough of a case to argue against Georgia on behalf of Michigan. You need more evidence than that if you want to be taken seriously on what I believe is a fairly outlandish claim here right now, that Michigan appears on paper better than Georgia. Because you can't give me, they got a transfer tied in from Indiana when Georgia can boast what is it six players in the top 100 of the entire country according to ESPN the outlet that Reese Davis still works for you may have seen this at uh, ESPN.com the last day or so they've got Brock Bowers a tight end ranked as the number two player in the entire sport now eventually we're going to get here on this at some point this week but I love the fact that Bowers has sort of finally arrived and getting the attention that he deserves. So you can't give me, oh, they got a transfer tight end from Indiana when Georgia boasts the second overall player in the sport as its tight end spot You know, here right now. Uh, you've also got Mikael Williams, rising sophomore. He's listed as the number 10 overall player in the sport. Uh, this is according to ESPN. Listen, there's a bunch of folks who may not even know who Mikael Williams is yet, but they're about to. ESPN says he's the 10th best player in the sport. Jawan Dumas, Johnson they got him at 24 uh they got Smile Mondin coming in uh at 41 Cedric Von Prawn Grangers are up there near the top there as well The Georgia boasts some of the very best players in the entire country and understanding that is the case then the then the argument that Reese Davis makes for Michigan we just feel like comes across a little bit lacking we sort of feel like it's missing some substance in order to to listen outlandish claims require very strong evidence and we don't think the evidence is strong enough to justify the outlandish claim that Davis is making there that on paper he believes that Michigan is rightly better than Georgia but as I told you Davis is sort of back at it again he was on SportsCenter with Scott Van Pelt the other day I don't have the audio for you on this I apologize but I do want to read you the quote here of once again why it is that Davis does not have Georgia at the top why he's got Michigan instead and Davis with Scott Van Pelt held on SportsCenter the other day, sort of drilled down and focused exclusively on the quarterback position for Georgia. Let me read to you what Davis says on SportsCenter. Uh, Davis explaining that it's quarterback, his reason for not having Georgia number one. And he goes on to say, it's not like they don't have talented guys. Carson Beck is likely the starter. And I was told by someone close to the Georgia program just a couple of days ago that Brock Vandegrift has been really terrific in fall camp. So they've got a couple of talented options, but they are unproven. So Reese Davis says, "Hey, number one reason for me why Michigan's number one and Georgia's not is because Georgia is unproven at quarterback." Now, listen, we would all obviously agree that it is factually correct that Georgia is unproven at quarterback. We totally agree with that. And when you see Stetson Bennett perform the way that he did during preseason action the other day, it is a reminder that Georgia does have big shoes to fill at the quarterback position. We would we would agree with that. I mean, even someone who's wrong not every single thing he says in the midst of being wrong is is necessarily going to be factually incorrect and it is not factually incorrect to say georgia is unproven at the quarterback position but i think the thing that georgia fans have come to appreciate about their team at least i hope they have because this is overwhelmingly true is that georgia is just not as quarterback dependent as other teams are when an lsu loses a joe burrow after 2019 that program falters We'll see how Alabama performs this year, having lost Bryce Young. We'll see how Ohio State performs this year, having lost C.J. Stroud. On and on you go. When you are a quarterback-dependent team and you lose your quarterback, that makes for a very big question about your team. Georgia got excellent play from Stetson Bennett over the course of the last couple of years, but when you look at five first-rounders on defense in 2021, uh, a player like Jalen Carter on the 2022 defense, go along with Christopher Smith and Nolan Smith and everything there, the continual presence of Brock Bowers, we would say that even though Georgia got stellar quarterback play, this is not a quarterback-dependent team. So the idea of, oh, unproven at quarterback, that, that that's enough for me to sort of doubt Georgia, I think you have to be trying very hard – in order to sort of make that opinion we've said before we like hot takes every now and then I like to throw some out there I like to hear your hot takes and we like the kind of conversation starter that other people's hot takes provide but what we don't like what we've never liked is when someone sort of starts with the hot take and then sort of works backwards to try to justify it. and that's sort of what it feels like Reese Davis doing here starting with the idea of Michigan being number one then working backwards to get to the point of well if it's not Georgia why won't it be and then just sort of grasping for the the absolute lowest hanging fruit of all of oh they are unproven a quarterback as we have now said in the past there are plenty of Georgia fans who are going to have a pretty good laugh about the idea that for a long time the national media sort of told Georgia fans you can't win a national title because of Stetson Bennett and now people like Reese Davis would lead you to believe you can't win a national title without Stetson Bennett I think a lot of Georgia fans have a pretty good laugh about all of that now let me do two more quick things on this particular topic and we're going to move on and talk about something that may be a little less pleasant for Georgia fans here right now. Here is the uh, first thing to sort of con- uh, consider there for a moment. In the future, there is going to be a knockdown, down drag-out battle happening in college football. Resources sometimes can be scarce. The financial resources in college football are obviously no different than any other financial resources in some other walk of life. And the SEC is about to be in a bare knuckled brawl with the Big Ten to be at the very top of the sport. And the SEC has a lot going for it. It's got the most passionate fans. It's got the best players and the best teams. What the Big Ten has is sheer size, relatively large states that have relatively large alumni bases. And there's this you know, sort of land grab here of going all the way to the Atlantic coast and pulling a Rutgers and a Maryland all the way to the Pacific coast and pulling four teams out of the Pac-12. The Big 10's big play to sort of make a push for college football supremacy is to see how big the league can get. The SEC's choosing a little bit of a different tact right now. But in this particular battle, you also have allies there as well. It's your media partners who pay these exorbitant rights fees. They become your allies in the battle. Now, I'm not telling you, That everything ESPN says is supposed to be pro Georgia, pro SEC because they're the SEC's media rights partner. But I am going to say this they are the SEC's media rights partner, and they're going to be the only SEC media partner moving forward in the future. So when the host of ESPN's College Game Day is taking such an anti SEC take uh, at the beginning of a season here, it's at least a little bit noticeable. Now, does Reese Davis have to be like Ministry of Defense and sort of argue on behalf of George and the SEC at all times? Yeah, not necessarily. I would say that's not necessarily the case. But once again, just notice what ESPN does on behalf of the SEC, the only media partner this league has going forward. Just notice it. Just notice it. That's all I'm asking you to do. Now, finally, there's this, and I've even been asked about that a little bit here this week of... Well, now that Georgia's number one in the coaches poll, overwhelmingly, number one in the AP poll, overwhelmingly, does this disprove the notion that Georgia has doubters for the upcoming season? People always sort of circle back to what admittedly was kind of an interesting, uh, you know, talking point a year ago that Nolan Smith, the great Georgia leader, vocal leader, had kind of invented the idea that Georgia was going seven and five or six and six, whatever the overall number was, and that somehow that has led some people to believe that the, that the entire idea of Georgia having doubters ago was all this sort of invention, something that didn't actually exist. We pointed out time and time again that there were real substantial doubters of George, and while Nolan Smith may have exaggerated some of it, he didn't speak it into existence. There was plenty of that prior to the start of the season prior to the Tennessee game and perhaps even moving on later into the year there as well there were plenty of people willing to go on the record expressing some doubt about UGA so you fast forward here to right now okay well what does it mean then that George is the overwhelming number one in the AP poll overwhelming number one in the coaches poll what that means is it doesn't disprove the doubt it just proves how wrong the doubters might be right I mean, when a Davis steps up and says what he says, hey, Michigan number one, Georgia unproven at quarterback, and he's now been doing this over and over again, and yet you see what's perhaps the wisdom of crowds here, coaches poll, AP poll, so heavily lined up against him, what you're left to conclude is not that the doubters don't exist, but the doubters have really put themselves out on a limb to make the case against UGA. And of course, a lot of this is just sort of fan and media talk. The Georgia program itself is not concerned with any of this. Kirby Smart on Saturday uh, told you that what he's concerned about is Georgia getting better, working to be the very best that it can be. And the idea of who's going to win the national championship, you would be led to believe for Georgia itself, the players, the coaches, that is the farthest thing from their mind right now, which is the way that it should be, which is also why, since Georgia is not going to defend itself on stuff like this, we will. The case against Georgia right now, we think is pretty small. The challenge of winning the national championship is obviously really difficult, but the idea you're going to pick a team like Michigan that we've seen be inferior to Georgia before, that doesn't really come uh, with very much logic attached to it, at least in our mind. We've never told you it's going to be easy. Not easy for Georgia to win the national championship, not easy to pick Georgia to win the national championship, but it's also not easy to pick against them either. So when folks like Reese Davis do, our advice to them is be very careful because Georgia has a habit of proving people like you wrong. They've done it before and come by the end of the season, they just may do it again. My name is Brandon Adams and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Presented by Brayda Pest Manager. Glad to have you with us, no matter how you get to us across all platforms video, radio, podcast. We just try to pump this thing out all across the fruited plane of platforms, and we're just glad you find one. We're glad it works for you, and we're happy to have you as a part of our program. We've got a great uh, collection of folks in the building today, kind of working. We've had all kinds of stuff. Every now and then you sort of have to, it's kind of like the old uh, Super Nintendo or maybe like the original Nintendo. You have to sort of pull the cartridge out blow on it and kind of put it back in that's what we're sort of doing here today so uh we're getting it all kind of fixed up cleaned up and ready to go because we've got a really fun season on the way here and we're happy to have you as a part of it A big thanks to our friends at uh braided past management who also make it possible for you here today there as well the official pest control provider of uga athletics coming up pretty soon a lot of us are gonna be lucky enough to be back inside sanford stadium again when you're at these great uga athletic venues you're reminded that the company that protects these buildings from termites and bugs and critters and everything else that's our friends at breda pest management the official pest control provider of uga athletics you don't get recognized that way unless you have a great history and legacy of doing great business for a very long time and that is what breda pest management is all about in business since 1975 125 employees out there working hard each and every day for the folks who've trusted them including our friends at uga there as well and you get to now make the same decision and when you do let's just take our termite uh uh you know, situation, for example, here when you trust Brada Pest Management as your termite provider, uh, as as that, that company that protects your house from the termites, when you do that, you are going to put more money back in your pocket just for making that decision. That's what Brada Pest Management is all about. The strength, the success, the legacy they have that can be leveraged for your benefit by putting more money back in your pocket just for for making the switch to Breda. So I hope you'll do that today. Find them online, BredaPest.com. That's B R E D A. It's BredaPest.com for more on that today. Let's uh, make sure we get that website, BredaPest.com for uh, more on that today. Make sure you check them out, B R E D A, BredaPest.com and you can find out more about that today all right so it's uh, good to have all of you with us today we're going to catch up with mike griffith here in a moment we're going to do a practice report with mike from what's been going on in athens a chance to watch some practice yesterday that's always interesting uh a chance to kind of look back on a scrimmage from saturday kirby smart obviously uh you know you know driving a pretty tough uh situation here right now for georgia trying to get this team as as good as it can be blocking out all the noise including from blowhards like me arguing back and forth with reese davis georgia's focused on its task at hand and we'll let mike tell us more about how that's playing out here right now including one of the larger concerns for georgia here at the moment we'll cover a lot of that ground in a moment but prior to that i do want to go around the doghouse here today it's poured by friends at uh, dr pepper strawberries and cream and dr pepper strawberries and cream zero sugar of course we're always excited about having them a part of the show what we are not excited about though is what dog nature reported yesterday and y'all i realize this it's like the worst part of uh, of of this time of year and it's, it's oftentimes not even true just for your own favorite team but just in general we like football and if you get on social media or something like that you know it's like this litany of training camp type injuries nfl or college whatever else we just hate the idea of good football players who were fun to watch being hurt but honestly it obviously stings a little bit more when it's one of your guys and i guess severity is still unknown here right now but dog nation has reported i'll show you this on the screen here a little bit dog nation uh is reporting that lawson lucky who was not seen yesterday and we'll show you this on the screen here that uh, that uh, that Lawson Lucky, who was not seen uh, during the visible portion of practice yesterday, that he is dealing with an ankle injury, and I think that our friends at Athens Banner-Herald had reported that maybe going to get that seen about you know some sort of procedure, or whatever. I'm not a medical expert, I can't tell you what it, that necessarily entails. But this was a guy who had had a lot of success during spring practice for Georgia, really generate a lot of buzz. I saw him last year in high school. He's obviously. You know, kind of a bona fide playmaker in terms of what he did at the high school level, but uh, dealing with an ankle injury here right now, not seeing during practice, and we are kind of left to conclude what the severity of all this is. One way or another, though, it's a setback at least for a guy, as we said before, that's generated a lot of chatter around UGA. In fact, you want to go back to a couple of days ago. When Georgia ends coach Todd Hartley addressed the media and had a chance to, to to speak about his position group, what's going on there, he talked about what he'd seen from Lucky going back to the spring. And the other kind of freshman tied in who's also in the mix here right now, Pierce Sperling, the guy who was also kind of battling injury in his own right back during the spring. Uh, at that time, Hartley talked about you know what he'd seen from both these guys and the words that Hartley used about lucky more relevant now, uh, just in the base of the fact that uh, that Hartley or I should say that lucky is dealing with that ankle injury. So let me let you hear Todd Hartley talking about that.
0: You know, it's kind of the the new thing in college football is these kids to graduate high school early, and uh, both of them had the opportunity to come in in January, and I think it was very beneficial. Um, more so for Lawson and Pierce just from the fact that Pierce got hurt. You know, Pierce got hurt. practice practiced three in the spring and with a collarbone injury and, and missed the rest of spring. He, he was able to come back right for the time that we started summer workouts, so he's been with us full speed since the summer. Um, but I've seen great progress in, in, in both those guys. Obviously, Lucky had uh, a very good spring, uh, took advantage of, of the reps that he got and, and uh, was able to make some plays and show that he was – able to potentially maybe do something for us in our offense. And then Pierce is right there too, okay? Pierce is getting his opportunity um, this camp. And one thing he was nervous about was was playing tight end. You know, Pierce never played tight end. Pierce played receiver in high school. And a lot of these new-age tight ends that we recruit, they don't play tight end. It's hard to find tight ends in high school. So a lot of them are projection prospects. You're projecting them to be a tight end. And Pierce is one of those guys that has has come in and has embraced his role and is learning to play the position. And I'm I'm very – Excited. I'm very pleased with how both of them have performed at
1: this point. So, I don't want to obviously say too much about the Lucky situation because, frankly, I just don't know how severe it is. Maybe Mike Griffith can tell us more about that here in a moment, but it's the kind of thing that you don't want to hear because a guy like Lucky was obviously uh, had such high hopes here for the season. We hope those clearly remain for him during his freshman year. But as Harley tells you there, hey, you know, as Pierce Sperling comes back, that's also a guy they're going to be watching for here very closely here. And generally speaking, you know, I'm still fairly high in the Georgia tight end situation here for this year. I think it was fun last night. And if you go to the Dog Nation YouTube page, you can see more of this yourself. Uh, we heard from Oscar Delp yesterday, and there had been some buzz about Delp coming off that first scrimmage. You know, Oscar is a guy that I still have very high, high hopes for. And the reason why I say still is because you know how it works. It's like when a guy comes in as a freshman; it's all the talk, all the chatter, and then after being on campus a year, it sort of turns into out of sight, out of mind here a little bit and I think in some of the cases with Delp, that's kind of been the case. It's like there was so much excitement about what he could be when he first arrived, and then slowly people sort of get interested in other newcomers and what they may be able to do. There's always a new shiny thing to pay attention to, but oftentimes what we see is that year of seizing, that year of growth becomes the opportunity for a guy like Delp to truly take the next step. I believe that's the case, and the one thing you've heard over and over again is, well, Georgia doesn't have a Darnell Washington this year. Georgia doesn't have a weapon of that magnitude as the extra blocker when he wants to be the pass catcher. We've heard Darnell's done great things so far in training camp for the Pittsburgh Steelers. We know how good Darnell can be. And in all fairness to Oscar Delp, the fact of the matter is Oscar does not have to be as good right now as Washington was a year ago. He simply needs to be better than whoever he's doing battle with on the other side when he's playing for Georgia here this year. And we believe that Delp can absolutely be equal to that task uh, here for this season, even if he's not quite ready to be. Uh, quite what Darnell was at the end of his Georgia career there a year ago so that is admittedly my very very um, I guess telegraphed attempt to sort of put a positive spin on what clearly you don't like to see injury update chatter about a guy like Lucky being slowed down by an ankle injury here right now but it is nonetheless a fact and yet ultimately it does not change what I believe is still a Georgia tight end situation worth being optimistic about. We clearly know that Brock Bowers is in the conversation to be college football's very best player. And even though there have been certainly some beliefs here that Georgia may play three receivers more, which takes one of those tight ends on the field, you don't do as many two-tight end sets. If you're playing with three receivers – we still think there's an opportunity for Georgia to go big, heavy set, two tight ends when it wants to. And We think that Oscar Dupp can be a very capable player there in that regard. So we wish Lucky well, and hopefully the injury prognosis for him ends up not being uh, too serious. We hope to be able to see him because we think he's a lot of fun to watch. But even around that, there is still, I think, reason to be optimistic, not just about what Brock Bowers can do in his final year, but also the Georgia tight end situation overall. And that is around the doghouse. And it's poured today by our friends at Dr. Pepper Strawberries and Cream and Dr. Pepper Strawberries and Cream Zero Sugar. So if you haven't tried this yet, this is your time to be able to do that. It's a brand new permanent flavor offering from our friends at Dr. Pepper. Now, listen, here's the thing you know I am truly a very big fan of Dr. Pepper. It's one of my favorite things to enjoy when the show's over with. I'm always racing to go to the refrigerator, popping a like, top on a uh, great can of Dr. Pepper. And if you haven't tried the Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream, Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream, zero sugar, I believe it can be your new brand new favorite. So go to Kroger, pick some up or wherever you're doing your grocery shopping, you're going to find it. It's from Dr. Pepper. You're going to love it. Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream, Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream, zero sugar. Great to have them as a part of around the doghouse here today all right before we're done one of the biggest games week one involving a georgia rival has had a little bit of um, a hiccup for the opposition and this could benefit the uga rival we'll tell you more about what that's about here also major controversy uh involving one of the great sec i guess sort of folklore stories you know (laughs) one of the things that has kind of made the sec famous over the years apparently the story has taken some kind of negative twists and turns we'll cover some of that here before we're done on the program there as well but before that there is important business to be taken care of injury update on loss and lucky what happened during georgia practice uh, aftermath of the scrimmage on saturday game faces on in athens everybody getting ready for the 2023 season where is george along the way on all of that let's talk about that right now uh it is a practice report from our friends at georgia farm bureau great to have mike griffith all of you with us here today as a part of dog nation daily from athens and across the sec or wherever the recruiting trail may lead here's a DogNation.com insider we will say hello to uh mike griffith and boy this is one of those things you know the season's getting close when we bring back our practice report uh, from our friends at georgia farm bureau of course mike was there got a chance to see some of that yesterday and he joins us here today talk more about that and obviously mike we got to begin here with something that georgia fans don't love and that's injury reports this time of year it's a fact of life when you talk about you know football and everything that goes on there uh loss and lucky the freshman tied in not seen during the media portion yesterday dog nation reporting an ankle injury there on lucky what else can you add to the story here for right now
2: well, I mean, you know, Kirby has said that there were a couple ankles that came out of the scrimmage, Brandon. I mean, obviously the, the most serious injury was, was Raylan, and, and we're going to wait and see, uh, you know, when he'll be back, that sprained knee. But other than that, I don't I don't think there's anything serious. Like, sometimes you, you hold these guys out uh, because you want them to be able to, you know, partake in the next scrimmage, or you limit their snaps. You think about Jalen Carter the other night with the Philadelphia Eagles played two snaps, right? And it was because they were going to have, you know, some um, contact scrimmages with the Cleveland Browns. So I think Kirby's just managing the roster. I I don't think there's anything uh, unusual or bad going on beyond what we already know. I mean, you know, you're you're hoping Kendall Milton can get back up to speed at some point, uh, maybe before October would be good, Um, you know, because I don't think you need him to win in October. I don't think you need him in September. So, you know, you're looking at. you know Branson Robinson coming back soon, though. No, Kirby says before the season, you wonder about Smile Munden in the foot. Um, you know the sooner the better. Although I think Xavier Sori is more than adequate through uh, for, your, for your September schedule. Uh, Kamari Lasseter is a guy that Kirby's pressing to come back as well. So I, I don't think George is in bad shape. Um, I think George is fine in terms of you know where they're at. Uh, I think you get through one more scrimmage. I think you got one more hold your breath scrimmage this Saturday you know and, and I think the table's set for the season
1: and obviously you know as you said you know George itself may be an okay position but you know clearly for somebody like Lucky it would generate some positive buzz during the spring it would certainly be a personal setback for him if he's forced to miss some times obviously you know I don't have anything medically to add to that but clearly that'd be a personal setback for him even if it was the kind of thing that George as a team could absorb overall
2: well sure I mean but injuries are part of it and you know different guys go through it at different points I mean Led McConkey played half a year injured last year and played played half a year you know even with all the injuries that he had i think lucky he'll be fine i don't think it's anything serious and um you know some of those things you manage you know you're when you when you have contact and you play as physical as georgia does you know there's going to be a certain percentage of guys get hurt i mean it just kind of comes with a turf and you know when your number comes up it's your number and you know you hate to you know you hate to think about it like that but that's just a you know a reality of, of football it's a violent physical game and No matter how hard you prepare, you know wrong place, wrong time. You know it's it's not hard to get uh, banged up a little, nicked up a little bit.
1: What did you observe at practice yesterday, Mike?
2: Well, I wasn't there. Connor was there yesterday at practice. Um, I can tell you more about the Saturday scrimmage. Uh, You know, from what I hear, Gunnar Stockton might have made a little bit of a move to get some number one reps. Brandon, I know that you and I talk quarterbacks a lot, and you know we try to you know work around you know what Kirby Smart's thinking or you know based on what he's saying, but. Um Gunnar Stockton was a guy that had a lot of success, completed his first ten or eleven passes in that scrimmage, and albeit they were high percentage passes uh, against twos and threes, it's enough to generate momentum and maybe earn him some looks with the number one. And then um you know, both Vandegriff and Beck missed on some open throws early on. They they both had some opportunities and you know, Beck had some of those moments that, you know, scare the head coach, you know, and and uh you know, I think Vandegriff fired higher on some passes. I know there was one pass that went through Arian Smith's hands and were intercepted. I mean, Arian is a guy they're, they're trying to give a lot of reps to. They're trying to work hard. You know, you got to build some depth into this receiving core. I mean, you got, you know, other than Ladd McConkey on the perimeter, um, you know, just how much of the playbook does Arian know? I think you'd like him to become more of a regular out there. I think last year Todd Munkin described him as a situational player. Uh, you had Marcus and Jack Sane, and, you know, Kirby was pretty hard on him too. You know, I think he did some okay things, and then he did some not okay things. Now, granted, it was, you know, there was a 160-degree heat index in Athens on Saturday, and from what somebody told me on the field, it was closer to 120. You get on the field, there's no air. So, I mean, those guys were in some really, really difficult conditions, and Kirby wasn't letting up. Um, I'm a little, I'm a little, uh, you know, when I look at the receiving core, I know we talked so much about the freshman receivers, Brandon, so much about, uh, you know, BMAC and freshman receivers, and I'm kind of like, all right, well, well, where are they? You know, when, when are we going to hear about them again? You know, I mean, when when Pickens came in, I mean, we <laughs> we heard about Pickens. We saw George. Well, where is that? Do they have a? I don't know that they have a guy like that. I'll be curious to see if we hear another name emerge. You know, beyond the regulars, right? Beyond the McConkeys and the Aaron Smiths and, and the Marcus Rosembeck Saints and the Lovetts. and you wonder who else. You know, maybe Jackson meets. You wonder who else Bell. Who else could emerge? Right. So. To me, that's something to keep an, an ear to the ground for. Um, we know that Oscar Delp had a really good scrimmage, and and the, and the reason that's important is because you're looking at Georgia trying to have that same amount of um, you know versatility with a double tight end set. I think you and I talked about that last yeah. week. Is this going to be a three wide team? Is it going to be a double tight end team? And the fact that Delp has improved so much as a blocker, uh, gained that weight. You know, we talked yesterday. I was there last night for that part of the availability. When we talked with Oscar Delp and he won, he gained all this weight up to 245, put on about 15 good pounds, looks really good, and uh, he'll be over there in that Darnell Washington slot. He was there against Ohio State when Darnell got hurt, but now he's just bigger, stronger, better, and the fact that he's emerged gives Georgia the kind of versatility they're going to need uh, to exploit opponents throughout the year.
1: Yeah, I think this is a fun conversation, right, because I don't know there's necessarily a wrong answer, and... I'm a big believer that a lot of the stuff that we're hearing about Dominic Lovett is likely true. I believe that Georgia knows it's got a really good player on its hands when it comes to Dominic Lovett. That's obviously a guy you want to play. But when it comes to how Georgia has functioned, Lovett on the field, I think in most cases, means second tight end kind of off the field, right? And right now, that'd be Oscar Delp. And the point that I was making, Mike, before you joined us is, is that the knock on Oscar, air quotes around knock, is that, well, he may not be as good as Darnell Washington. But as I've said he doesn't have to be as good as Washington was a year ago. He just has to be better than whoever he's competing against. I mean, on the other team, when he lines up to block or run a pass route or, or whatever else. And do I believe that Delp could be absolutely capable of doing that? Of course that I do. So... I think it's interesting, right? And there may not be a wrong answer. You want love it on the field, which means more three wide receiver set. But I still believe, and it sounds like you're kind of with me here on this a little bit. I still believe that what has made Georgia, Georgia effectiveness, even throwing the ball out of two tight end sets, that Georgia's still going to want to do that some too. And I believe that Delp, who by the way is bigger than people realize, not as big as Darnell, no one is, but he's bigger than people realize. I still believe that Oscar Delp is likely to be a pretty big part of this offense here this year.
2: Yeah, I think you and Cole Kubelik uh, agree on that. You know, that was one of the things Cole talked about a couple of weeks ago on the on the beach show was, you know, Georgia's versatility and, and how important that was last year. You know, not only was, was Georgia really talented and explosive, but they could do so many different things. And, and you think about it, you go back to the Ohio State game and you see all these formations, everything from double tight end to empty. You know, and, and they really threw the book at, at the Buckeye. And you needed to. You, you know, Georgia needed to throw the book. At Ohio State. I mean, that game, you go back and watch it, and, and that's just, that was coaching. I mean, that was, you know, a lot of times you say, oh, Georgia just overwhelms teams with, you know, talent. But that Ohio State game, that was Kirby Smart and his coaching staff winning that football game because the players really, you know, Stetson didn't really play well. And, and you know, the defense didn't really play well. There were some broken plays. And, you know, and, and the Marvin Harrison thing, one thing I do want to
1: point out,
2: you know, for all the talk about Marvin Harrison getting knocked out at the end of the third quarter, and how important that was. Did people realize he hadn't caught a pass since the 10-50 mark of the second quarter? I mean, the guy hadn't caught a pass in over 25 minutes when he left. the game. Georgia had already adjusted to shut Marvin Harrison down when he left the game. But my, going back to my point, it was coaching, coaching, coaching. So now fast forward to the point we're making right now. You know, when you can go double tight end or you can go three wide, when, you can, when Mike Bobo can sit down with that offensive staff and say, all right, who had the scout this week? You know, what is, what is Auburn going to throw at us? You know, what's their best – what is their best 11? How do we get them out of their best 11? Well, coach, we go double tight end, and they're going to have to go a little bit bigger, right? They're going to have to pull that star and, and put another linebacker on the field, and they, they won't be as good. Or, you know, we got to make them faster. You know, we got to go three wide. We've got to stretch them out. We've got to get that linebacker in there make them bring them up. That's how Georgia plays it. That's how Kirby Smart plays it. That's pro style offense. They don't go out there like Jai Seipel and go, here, here we are you know, hurry up, speed, spread, this is what we do every week. They don't do that. They say, what do you do well, and how can we make you have to beat us left-handed? Because Georgia has so much talent, and they're coached so well. And that's where, dialing this down another level, that's where not having your quarterback settled right now, hurts you. Because one thing about Stetson is he was experienced, and he could run the offense. And he had all those number one reps, and he had all that timing down. Well, you're still splitting reps. You're still – your quarterbacks are – you're still splitting reps. You still aren't settled. Now, I think Brandon and Kirby would never say this because he's tried to, you know, pretend like the schedule doesn't matter. But I think if an Oregon was waiting for you in the opener or Clemson, I think he'd be managing this quarterback thing completely. I, I think he'd be managing it differently. I really do. But because the schedule is what it is, he'd be crazy not to. He'd be crazy. It's like poker. You know, if the dealer's sitting there with, what, 16? Is that when they don't take a hit again? And you've already got 18. you not
0: take another hit.
2: I mean, is that a good analogy? I mean, you know more about card games than me. Why does Georgia want to push it? If you can stretch it out, if you can build more depth, if you can give all these quarterbacks more opportunity, more experience, build your quarterback room, you know, get more reps for more guys on the team, why wouldn't you do that with the schedule? So I think while this team is, you know, to me, not as plugged in at this stage of the year, as plugged in as maybe last year's was or the year before at this stage of the season. It doesn't need to be. It's, this is going to be a team that's going to evolve, and I, th- I think it will evolve nicely. I think the schedule, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with the schedule working in your favor once in a while
1: we got more from uh, UGA practice that's been going there with the dogs here coming up. It's a Georgia Farm Bureau practice report with Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily here today. And, of course, our friends at Georgia Farm Bureau are back with us. And you know how much they love football because they love Georgia. And we know what the sport of football means to the state of Georgia. And when it comes to understanding Georgia and the Georgians that live there – Uh, No one's better at that than our friends at Georgia Farm Bureau offices all throughout the state of Georgia. They live, they work, they play in communities just like yours uh, across the great state of Georgia. And they're also providing great insurance options there for you there as well. So when it comes to your home insurance, your auto insurance, even life insurance, uh, you can get some great, great options on that with our friends at Georgia Farm Bureau. So I want you to find them online. It's gfbinsurance.com. That's gfbinsurance.com. Find out all the great uh, insurance offerings you get from our friends at Georgia Farm Bureau. You can find out why Georgia Farm Bureau truly is always the home team. So Mike, let me finish with this. I believe that for me, for all the chatter around scrimmage on Saturday, practice stuff that's been observed, I would say that thus far, I think for everything for me is mostly business as usual. There are only two things that rise the level for me as someone who wants to see Georgia, as I like to say, go for three and 23. There are really only two things that sort of rise the level of being a concern for me. I am very interested to see how it plays out at the cornerback spot uh, opposite Kamari Laster. Obviously, you know, we expect Laster to hopefully be healthy and ready to go at the one cornerback spot. What happens opposite of that I do think is an issue. Kirby Smart talked about better pass defense during SEC media day. So I'm watching that cornerback competition. I assume it's probably heading towards a positive re- resolution. And then for me, the, the the more significant issue is what is going on with the Georgia running game. I know you had some pretty pointed remarks at the end of your time with us here last week. Um, and while I don't know that I'd go quite as far as maybe you did a, a week ago, I, I do think this is a team that probably needs to go out there and demonstrate in the games that matters most that it can run the ball, that it can do that because in the SEC, even in the modern game, that still matters. And I do think that's going to be a pretty interesting place to put a spotlight on UGA this year. Can they get healthy? Can they perform well? Can they do what needs to be done at the with the running game to go along with what we expect to be a pretty potent offense through the air at times?
2: Oh, I'd agree with you. You know, I think that the running—I think the running game is always you know paramount. And I I just don't think it's going to be as involved in the pass game because I don't think you have those. I don't think you have a Kenny McIntosh or a James Cook back there. You know, maybe Andrew Paul. You know Kirby told us that he's you know gaining some confidence in his knee, and you hope that that happens because it'd be great if he turned the corner and you know was able to do some of those things downfield. I, I just don't think it's in the cards for Georgia to use the use the backs as much in the running game, and that's okay because every year you, you know your personnel package is a little bit different. Every year you have different skill position guys, and it, it's kind of a different mix. And then it's up to the coaches to say, okay, how do we maximize the talent we have? Like we're talking about Oscar Delp right now. And while maybe he doesn't cave in the right, you know, he doesn't cave in a defensive line like Darnell did blocking, hey, Delp can run away from you. You know, Big O could run over you, but, but he didn't really run away from you. Delp can run away from you. Delp had an explosive play last Saturday. So he, he brings you a little something there. We, we might be underplaying Oscar Delp a little bit, or, or as you mentioned, you know, lost and lucky a little bit. You mentioned the guy that was out of practice, you know, with the ankle a little bit. He might be underplaying that a little bit. You didn't have a Lovett before. I think Lovett, and, and, you know, I think he might be a little bit faster, a little bit more explosive version of Kyrus Jackson. Now, is he, is he going to block like Kyrus? Is he going to do special teams like Kyrus? I don't know. Is he going to stay healthy and be durable like Kyrus? I don't know. Kyrus was a heck of a player. I don't want to undersell him. But I do think Lovett could be a little bit more explosive of a player. And and he didn't have that out of the slot. So I I, I love the idea of Lovett bringing some explosion. He's going to be – a really tough matchup. You didn't have that last year out of the slot. And, and McConkey is just a beast. I, I say Christian McCaffrey like If he is healthy, Brandon, when he is healthy, he is as good in the open field as any receiver in the nation, period. He is that good. It's not just a good story. It's just not the feel-good three-star guy that got the- no. This guy will blow you up. He will take the top off. He will run away from people. He will run through tackles. He will juke two or three guys. Ladd McConkie, even though he was first-team preseason all SEC, is still the most underrated guy on the Georgia football offense by far. I, I just don't think people understand just how dynamic of a player that, that Ladd really When he's healthy, right? Because there were some games last year, Brandon, in the postseason. You know, he hurt his knee against LSU. He was playing injured. Okay, He was playing with some injuries uh, about half of those games last year. You go back to Oregon, you will put the tape on And he was explosive. I mean, this guy. So you've got a better lad. You've got an explosive guy out of the slot you didn't have before. you got more speed at that second tight end. Okay, you give up a running back that's not catching the ball downfield like Kenny. That's fine. But you got some power football. Because that Roderick Robinson kid, Brandon, he he could drag 10 or 11 of us. I mean, this guy, he is going to bring the smoke. And this line is going to run over some people, man. If you can just get that quarterback position settled and get somebody back there the Kirby trust, to make good decisions. And it's easier said than done. Because if you make two or three bad decisions in a game, it can get you beat. Right? I mean, you can make all the great plays you want, but if you make two or three bad ones in the wrong game, you lose. Georgia almost lost to Missouri last year. That really happened. They almost lost to Ohio State. That really happened. And, and I don't know that you have the same margin for error this year. Number one, because I don't think your defensive line is as good, and you and I can talk about that down the road. But number two, because I don't know what else is out there. Was anybody really spectacular last year? That Ohio State team that took Georgia to the stroke of midnight, they got beat by what, three touchdowns by Michigan? How, how good were they really, right? And, and TCU? I mean, now I will say this, you know, for all that, and I can't say it enough because I get so sick of the Texas hype, Texas didn't score an offensive touchdown at home against TCU last year. And Stetson and the dogs put 65 on that team. So I I don't want to hear more of this Texas. Texas just, maybe it's the color, maybe it's just the attitude. I just You didn't even bring them up, and I'm getting pissed off. But but, Anyway, I'm fired up. I'm ready to go back to the computer, B.A.
1: All right, Mike. Hey, uh, good stuff. We appreciate you being here, and we'll look forward to reading more from you there at dognation.com. Thanks for being here for a Georgia Farm Bureau practice report here today on uh, Dog Nation Daily.
2: All right, thanks, Brandon. Have a good one. Thank you. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through.
1: So I was saying this this morning. Here's where I kind of think the quarterback situation is for Georgia right now. I think that we are progressing along the way that I think many people sort of expected. Um, And if it continues this way, then Beck's clearly going to be the starter, right? I mean, I think most of the people who would have been at the scrimmage on Saturday would report based on their eyewitness account that Beck certainly looked like the starter not that Vandegrift didn't have moments things like that but Beck was treated like and looked like he was gonna be the starting quarterback now what hasn't happened yet is Beck performed so well that into the competition that hasn't happened maybe you might say well he would have to literally turn water into wine In order to be named the starting quarterback at this stage in the summer, and you may be, you may be right about that, but one way or another, that hasn't quite happened yet. And the other thing that hasn't quite happened yet either is that Vandergriff hasn't performed so well that he's made up the gap that has seemingly, seemingly existed between these two going back to the spring. That Vandergriff has had his moments, and yet still number two behind back and if we keep along this progression then Carson Beck's going to be the starting quarterback and there'll be room for Vandergrift to possibly play as Mike said George has got a lot of games here this year where you would sort of expect to see multiple quarterbacks playing and then what happens in games may kind of determine some of that you'll have to take the reins on the field when it matters Kirby Smart has kind of talked about the importance of evaluating in game so to me that's sort of where things are there was a little bit of a we're about to see the tour championship uh, at Eastlake uh, next week. And, you know, based on the way in which the PGA Tour playoffs play out now, uh, when you go to East Lake for the tour championship, you sort of start with a lead. I think that Beck sort of started with the summer with a little bit of a lead. He was the clubhouse leader before the thing even kicked off because of how he performed during spring. And it doesn't seem like he's given back that lead as of yet, uh, nor does it seem like Vandegrift has necessarily flipped the script on that either. But admittedly, the competition has not ended yet. So uh, just kind of keep that in mind, you sort of roll through here on all that. Now, we'll go cruise around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean, and we'll talk about our friends from Royal Caribbean here for a moment and the continued excitement, excitement that exists around the brand new offerings for Royal Caribbean in 2024. I was looking at some of the stuff yesterday. Some of the brand new restaurant concepts that our friends at Royal Caribbean have got for the brand new Icon of the Seas that debuts in January. Like, this is really amazing. Uh, I love some of that kind of stuff. There's like a brand new supper club type thing that's going to have incredible like multi-course meals and beverage pairings to go along with every course and uh, some of the new neighborhood offerings. I'm a big fan of that kind of thing because it's the thing that sort of makes Royal Caribbean different than the other ships. All the things you can do on board. There's including even like some sort of family kind of friendly sort of family sections of the brand new icon of the seas but you have the splash away bay and things like that so if you've got family and kids you know royal caribbean is kind of you know really sort of sets the standard for the family vacation they are a family cruise line and families love it on board royal caribbean and some of the new offerings you're going to have on board icon of the seas make that even more so largest water park at sea i believe it's six different slides uh, on board the new Icon of the Seas. So it's fun to think about all that. Jessica Slater can tell you about it. You can give her a call. 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. You can also email her Slater at dreamvacations.com. That's Slater at dreamvacations.com. You can get more about Icon of the Seas, the brand new Utopia of the Seas that debuts in July. And of course our dog nation cruise in April of 2024, bigger and better than ever on board Allure of the Sea. She can tell you about all of that. I instead want to tell you about a couple of other things here for a moment. Cruise around the SEC here. And I think that one of the things we're starting to do is get a little bit more acquainted with some of the things that are going on with some of the big early season games involving SEC teams and perhaps one of the most interesting games involving like a georgia rival the biggest rival mall the lousy stinging gators of florida and i don't know that i fully appreciated all of this but um there is a good bit of quarterback injury news coming out of salt lake city for utah ahead of its game first thursday night of week one against Florida Gators have been uh, about a 10-point underdog for most of the summer the sports books that'll put out the early what they call look ahead lines you know kind of early point spreads on games a long way away from happening Florida has been about a 10-point underdog we have seen that number as of late the number kind of move in the direction of the Gators a bit now down to about seven and a half depending on where you might be looking at that some of that may be just sort of the natural gravitational pull of respect for the SEC But some of that also seems to be related to a Utah injury situation where Cam Rising, the terrific Utah quarterback, injured in the bowl game for Utah at the end of last season. He's working his way back just to be able to be healthy and play in this game on that first Thursday night. Some thought that he might not be able to. And if he doesn't, you turn your attention then to the backup quarterback for Utah, but that guy also dealing with injuries now there as well, where now it looks like Utah kind of turning into a guy named Bryson Barnes, who I guess is the number three quarterback there in that particular spot. So Utah dealing with some real attrition at the quarterback spot. Now listen, Rice-Eccles Stadium in Salt Lake, tough place to play no matter what, but if you're a Florida fan, you're obviously paying very close attention to the quarterback injury news coming out of Salt Lake City right now and for the Utes. It has not been very good. Now, could the Utah third-string quarterback still be better than Graham Mertz, the Florida starter? Yes, there's a very good chance that's a possibility. I don't say that sarcastically. There's a very good chance that's a possibility. But as of now, the game for Florida getting more and more winnable the more and more you hear – about these uh, injury reports coming out of Salt Lake City on them. That's a very important game for Florida to establish any kind of positive momentum whatsoever. Because if you lose this one, even though Florida by virtue of the point spreads is expected to, all of a sudden every other game you play the rest of the year, Tennessee shortly after that, the rest of the SEC slate, all of those games sort of ratchet up the pressure just a bit on that. So an interesting quote from Alabama coach Nick Saban uh, this week talking about his own quarterback situation there where basically – he was kind of sending the message out there to the three quarterbacks who were competing here, hey, make it impossible for me not to play you. Make it impossible for me not to play you. And it's been kind of interesting to watch the way in which the quarterback chatter has kind of evolved there, where it seemed like after spring practice, this sort of looked like Jalen Milrow had a Ty Simpson. And then for a while, we heard a lot of chatter, you know, this Tyler Buckner kid's going to come in from Notre Dame and he knows Tommy Reese he's going to save the day and then that kind of died down and a couple of weeks ago and some of this was actually kind of driven by Greg McElroy a guy you'd sort of think kind of knows because he you know played at Alabama he's kind of a rising star analyst you'd sort of think he knows he was sort of talking up Ty Simpson the other day Simpson was really supposed to be the guy but the best that I can tell now we've sort of settled back into a situation where the pecking order is kind of like maybe it was always destined to be. Milrow, the guy who was ahead of Simpson a year ago, may still be ahead of him right now. And Simpson may be ahead of Tyler Buckner, who is likely going to be the third-string quarterback at Notre Dame. And now he may be no better than third-string here at Alabama there as well. And so the quarterback situation of the Crimson Tide is not stellar here at the moment. Now, they're going to have a very good offensive line. I believe Justice Haynes is going to have a very good freshman season. Quarterback play, not, not a strong suit for Alabama, we're led to believe here right now. The other chatter coming out of Tuscaloosa, apparently a lot of drops by wide receivers. So, you know, we've said before that the junior college transfer, Malik Benson, we think could have a very good year for the Crimson Tide. But the buzz hasn't exactly been positive for Alabama wide receivers either thus far. So I don't know. You can do with that what you will. And then finally, I'll mention this. Going back to the old days, of the SEC, have you seen some of the stuff that's going on lately with Michael Ower, the offensive tackle who became famous, the blind side, the the book by Michael Lewis first, then the movie. Of course, Ower went to Ole Miss and then went on to play for the Baltimore Ravens. He is now suing the Tui family that took him in. And I guess from Ower's perspective that he thought he was adopted, but he wasn't. That was a, apparently a lie, he says. Uh, that what it really was was what's called a conservatorship um, that the Tuohys had for him. Their perspective on that was that's what enabled them to sign the papers that allowed him to go to Ole Miss, and the NCAA wasn't going to let Ower go to Ole Miss if it's not for that. There's also some arguing and disputing here as it relates to some of the royalties from the movie uh, and kind of how that got paid out. Frankly, some of that for me is very difficult to understand. The Tuohys have kind of issued a response to the Ower stuff on this, saying this is not, from their perspective, not the first time that – he has tried to what they've called shake them down for money and they're obviously you know hurt by that or would say i guess he's hurt by some of this kind of stuff there as well apparently he is of the belief that they've cashed in more from the movie than he's been able to unfairly so in his mind a lawyer is uh i guess moving forward with this the two we say that this is not the first time that Ower's tried to sue them but previous lawyers haven't wanted to move forward with it i guess the only thing i'll offer by way of a take on this just I guess I'll give you two. First of all this is really sad right because I mean I think when this movie first came out it was kind of surreal for a lot of us that for a brief moment like one of the biggest things in the world this movie Sandra Bullock won an academy award for it was essentially about SEC football just sort of really weird to see uh pop culture and SEC football kind of intersect there for the brief time in which that was the case way back when this movie was uh first very very popular so to see it kind of dissolving now is obviously incredibly sad because otherwise it seems like it should be a, a really feel-good story. And the other part of this is I don't know what's right and what's not as it relates to the story, but one of the things that always drives me crazy is when lawyers write this stuff up, the the documents they submit to court or the leaking of this publicly, lawyers are going to write this in the most salacious and explosive way possible because that's what they believe is right for their clients. Lawyers have a legal Uh, obligation to do right by their clients which means making the strongest argument possible on their behalf and what ultimately ends up happening is is when the lawyer released the statement because it will go viral it will make for nice news people do remember the movie they do remember the story therefore there are more than a few media outlets who are happy just you know sort of just word for word, just sort of pump it out there, you know, as as the truth, because, you know, lawyers have the whiff of credibility. They're easy to get on the phone. Uh, they've always been very valuable sources because of those facts. And therefore, the words they use are treated as gospel. And maybe what Owers' attorney is saying here is absolutely correct. But I think that lawyer statements when it comes to the sporting world need to be treated with more skepticism. Oftentimes they're not, but I believe they should be. And that's, I guess, the other takeaway I sort of had from the blindside issue there. So, Kind of a sad chapter for at one point in time was a very much a feel good story out of the SEC. It will make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And normally this is the time during the show that we would do a golden shoe or something like that. We're going to do that a little bit different here in a moment. So uh, uh, in in a moment we're going to we're going to do something a little bit different as it relates to that. So stick with me for a second. I got a little bit of a different message to share with you on that. I also want to give a shout out to our friends at the Finish Long Drink. Of course, we love the Finish Long Drink. We had a great chance to have a fun uh, lunch with them the other day uh they're doing some great things including introducing this peach flavored version of the finished long drink all over the place and i tell you the buzz around that has been so positive. People so excited about what they're bringing to the table right now, and we just really, really appreciate that. The most refreshing alcoholic drink you're going to find anywhere. We obviously love that uh, this time of year, and if you have not tried the peach-flavored version, you're going to love that there as well. It's just like the citrus flavor the cranberry flavor uh, in terms of the way people love it, but it's the brand-new offering. So if you haven't tried it yet, go to longdrink.com. You can put in your zip code, and you can figure out where you can pick up some peach-flavored version of the finished long drink today i mean just look at the can right there it looks awesome uh it tastes even better so try the peach flavored version of the finished long drink here today i know you'll be really glad that you did there on that now as i told you before A little bit different type of thing here as opposed to a typical golden shoe. We got a message and I wanted to share this. Other day, we honored some great teachers in our audience and Earl Wise sent this to me on Twitter saying that, you know, not quite a submission for that contest necessarily, but since we were honoring great teachers, he wanted to share some uh, sad news that maybe some of you are aware of there as well. Uh, Earl says a few days late for a Kroger Outstanding Teacher nomination. However, we lost a great teacher named Ashley Callahan way too soon. What Earl writes is last week, she tragically lost her life in an auto accident, taught science in DeKalb and Gwinnett and Walton, Oconee counties. Uh, Earl says that she was a UGA alumna and a DGD. And you see a wonderful picture of her there, Ashley, uh, with the Georgia jersey on, the national championship replica ring, and clearly having a good time there at a UGA tailgate. So, Apparently a great dog fan and a terrific teacher and a very sad news from Earl. So in kind of lieu of a golden shoe today, uh, we'll get back to golden shoes again tomorrow. But just want to kind of share that message there because it sounds like a great teacher and a great member of the Dog Nation community has passed away here in a very, very sad, tragic fashion way too soon. So Earl, thank you for uh, sharing that. And obviously, best wishes and sincere prayers to those that knew Ashley. So very, very sorry to say that. And of course, after that, we'll go ahead and wrap up today's show. Tonight, I hope you see, hope to see you on Peachtree TV, both this afternoon and tonight. We have got a great doubleheader kicking off our Corky Kell Dave Hunter Classic. Be a Kell High School fun matchup in the first game between North Atlanta and Johns Creek and then uh, the evening game here tonight also on Peachtree TV and streaming with our friends at Atlanta News First uh, sees Kel take on Parkview and obviously Parkview a chance to watch five-star wide receiver Mike Matthews I believe pound for pound as exciting a player as exists in our state here right now but also both these teams really loaded with big-time college prospects including a handful of players on George's recruiting radar too so if you have time to tune in tonight we'd love to see you on Peachtree TV for that of course streaming along with our friends at Atlanta News First there as well then it's Thursday Friday Saturday as well including the game Saturday there at Mercedes-Benz Stadium so high school football is here and we're excited about it we'll see you tonight on Peachtree TV for that We'll see you in Jacksonville coming up for the uh, world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Lousy, stinking gators take it on the chin 73 days from now. That's our Gator Hater countdown. We'll see you all back here tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily presented by Breda Pest Management. We'll look forward to talking to you then.